Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. The message of Scripture is that we were created by God and for God, and until we come into fellowship with God and we're living for Him, there is no fulfillment in life. And Jesus comes into this world in order to bring us that living water that will quench that thirst in our souls that nothing else could ever quench. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his series, Jesus Encounters. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on John chapter 4, verses 1 through 26, as he examines an encounter between Jesus and the thirsty soul. Now, here's Pastor Brian. They are, as I said earlier, they're unwittingly just telling us what Jesus told us right here in the passage. Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. You see, the truth is there is a God-shaped void in every person's heart, and it cannot be filled by anything this world has to offer. And this is why we go running from thing to thing always in search of that one thing that is going to finally bring us that contentment, that fulfillment, that satisfaction, that sense of purpose and completion, but, but we never get there. And nobody does. And the mistake that we so often make is we think that, well, we haven't arrived there because we didn't get the stuff yet. If we got to the position, if we got those possessions, if we got that experience, then of course we would have it. But the reason I think it's good to, you know, listen to some of the celebrities and so forth in the culture, especially when they're talking candidly about this stuff, is because they've got all the stuff that the average person thinks you need to find the fulfillment. And they're telling us, no, no, it's, it's not here. But again, they're echoing what Jesus himself said. If you drink this water, you will thirst again. But his promise, if you drink the water that I will give, you will never thirst. Not only will you never thirst, that water will become a fountain of living water springing up from within. So Jesus is saying that he will not only satisfy us for the moment, he will satisfy us continually. And not only will he satisfy us continually, but that satisfaction that we receive will then become a fountain that will bubble up and bring a blessing to others. Now, the woman, at this point, she's interested in the offer that Jesus is making. And so she says, sir, give me this water. Undoubtedly, at this point, she understands that it's not the water in the well. But she says, give me this water that I may thirst no more. And Jesus said to her, now, just think about this for a minute. He says to her, go call your husband and come here. Now, I, reading this, I think she must have thought, that's weird. Why, why is my husband being brought into this now? We, we have, you know, there's been no conversation up until this point about anything like that. Why would Jesus say, go call your husband? So she says, well, I have no husband. And Jesus says, you're right. You have no husband. You 
have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband, in that you spoke truly. Why does Jesus bring this up? Because Jesus is putting his finger on the real issue. See, this is the issue with this woman. Now, she's got this, this longing, this, this thirst inside, this sense that there's got to be something more, this, this longing for significance. But what is she doing? She's seeking meaning, purpose, and fulfillment in life through something other than a relationship with God. She's seeking to fulfill her need for God through relationships with other people. And in doing this, indirectly, she is engaging in idolatry. You see, this is what idolatry is. Idolatry is trying to find your purpose, your meaning, your significance in life through things rather than through God. We were created by God and for God. And yet we engage in all of this different idolatry. Now, you know, an idol wasn't just something that you just bow down to for the sake of bowing down to something. An idol was always a means to an end. And the end, of course, was was something personal. So all of the ancients and people today who engage in idolatry, it's always with the objective of some, I'm going to derive some benefit from this. And so for her, even though she, of course, wouldn't see it like this, the reality is she is an idolater, but her idol is relationships. She thinks that this is where I'm going to find satisfaction, but it's obvious that it's not working for her because she's been through five marriages and now she's just living with a person. So this is what Jesus does. He's offering her living water, but before she can drink the living water, the sin, the idolatry, the sexual immorality in her life must be dealt with. Because not only are those things unable to fulfill the thirsty soul, these are things that that separate us from God and in the end ruin our lives. And this is something that, that we need to understand. Jesus offers us living water. But if we're going to drink of it, if we're going to partake of it, the idolatry that's in our life, we have to, we have to turn from it. And that's what he's calling her to at this point. And her response is interesting because once Jesus says this to her, she says, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. All of a sudden she realizes that there's, there's an encounter with God going on here. And of course she responds. We know from the rest of the story, she goes back to the town. She tells people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever have done. I think this is the Messiah. And then later on, the people in the town, they, they admit that it was through her influence that they originally came to, to listen to Jesus. But then they say, we, we heard him ourselves and we now we believe as well. But leaving that for a moment, I want to take us from Samaria 2,000 years ago right to today. And I want to talk a little bit more just about this, just the whole reality of how nothing in this world can satisfy us. Timothy Keller, who I've quoted often, uh, in his book on encounters with Jesus, he quotes uh, author David Foster Wallace as a contemporary illustration of this. 
Uh, David Foster Wallace was a well-known author who, who uh, gained quite a bit of notoriety, but in, he did a commencement speech to the graduating class at Kenyon College. And this is part of what he said in the speech. Now, keep in mind that this guy is not at all, uh, he's not a believer, he's not a Christian at all. He says this, he says, everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before your loved ones finally plant you. Worship power, and you will end up feeling weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power over others to numb you to your own fear. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. Look, the insidious thing about these forms of worship is not that they are evil or sinful, that's of course his perspective, it is that they are unconscious, they are the default setting. So what he's saying here is, look, you know, he says they're not evil or sinful. He just says, this is just the way we are. This is, this is how everybody is. Everybody, his point is everybody's worshiping something and he's right. Everybody is worshiping something. Why? Everybody's worshiping something in the hope of being fulfilled. And everybody in the end is coming up with the same experience. There is no fulfillment. It doesn't deliver what people are hoping that it is going to deliver. Keller goes on and he says this. He says, Wallace was by no means a religious person, but he understood that everyone worships, everyone trusts in something for their salvation. Everyone bases their lives on something that requires faith. And then Keller goes on to say, a couple of years after giving that speech, Wallace killed himself. And this non-religious man, his parting words to us are pretty terrifying. Something will eat you alive. Because even though you might never call it worship, you can be absolutely sure you are worshiping and you are seeking. And Jesus says, unless you are worshiping me, unless I am the center of your life, unless you're trying to get your spiritual thirst quenched through me and not through these other things, whatever you worship will in the end abandon you and let you down. Interesting. Interesting, the candidness and the clarity with which David Foster Wallace spoke these words to that graduating class, and interesting and tragic that he soon ended his own life. But obviously, he is describing this because he experienced this. There's no question about it. And again, he would be speaking about it from the standpoint of having achieved it. Not from the position of, well, you know, someday I'm going to get there and it's all going to be good. But no, he's there and he's telling everybody, no, it's, it's not what you, what you think it is. And that is, as I said from the very beginning, of course, that's the message of Scripture. The message of scripture is that we were created by God and for God. And until we come into fellowship with God and we're living for him, there is no fulfillment in life. 
And Jesus comes into this world in order to bring us that living water that will quench that thirst in our souls that nothing else could ever quench. Now, as we close, I want to uh, just again consider what Jesus said to the woman. He said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus is claiming that he alone can fill the thirsty soul. But notice, if you knew the gift of God, do we know the gift of God? And for those of us who do know the gift of God, now this is something that we need to recognize. We are surrounded. Wherever you are in the world, you are surrounded by people like this woman. And most of them, like this woman, do not realize that deep down inside, they are thirsting for God. They don't, they don't realize that, but they are. And we have opportunities to speak to them about the gift of God. And we're called to do that. One of the reasons why I chose to do this series is not just for our own personal understanding and edification, but part of it was to sort of provoke us as God's people to remember that, that we are part of reaching the world, that God uses us. And just as Jesus came to this woman, just as he had to go through Samaria, God will put us in places and bring before us thirsty people and he wants us to tell them about the gift of God. If you knew the gift of God. And, and by his grace and through his wisdom and you know all of that, we, we need to make ourselves available to do that. And if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you, he would give you living water. And our message is that if you drink this water, you'll thirst again. But Jesus will give you living water that will satisfy you continually and that will overflow from your lives. Now, as we look at our own lives, I want to just challenge us, and I'm included in this challenge here. Um, you know, as we look at our lives, is there this well of water that Jesus spoke of? Is that a reality in our lives? You know, in another place, John chapter 7, Jesus talking about similar kinds of things. He said that uh, he that believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of their innermost being shall gush forth torrents of living water. When I read that, I look at myself and think, wait, torrents? I don't know. I probably wouldn't describe it as a torrent. But if that's the case, if it's something less than that, if it's maybe even a trickle, we have to ask ourselves the question, why? Well, the truth is we have to keep drinking. We come and we have that initial drink where we are introduced and we, you know, Christ comes into our life, but we don't stop drinking then, do we? I mean, if you just drank once and then stopped, you would quickly become dehydrated. And what do you need to do? You need to rehydrate. You need to drink more. And so for us, if we're, if we're sensing that that living water is not really bubbling up from within, it's not really overflowing, then what do we do? Well, we need to drink more. 
and we drink more through just engaging with the Lord in his word and through communing with him in prayer and worship and through uh, coming together as God's people and building each other up. These are the ways that we drink. And so we do that so we can ourselves receive the benefit of that fulfillment, but then also pass that on to others. Now, I, I want to take us finally to back to what the woman says to Jesus and what he says to her in, in that final point there in the last verse, where the woman says, I know that Messiah is coming. He will tell us all things. And, and what I want to say about this is a couple things, but first of all, like I said, the woman has spiritual longings. And let's again, just look at her life. Okay. She's just to put it simply, she's messed up. Here's a messed up gal right here. But deep down, she has this sense like, you know, there, there's something, something's, somebody's going to come and, and, you know, fix it. Somebody's going to come and fix everything. And, you know, she was right. She was right. Somebody will come and fix it. But where she was missing it is that the one that was going to fix it was standing right in front of her. And, and she was still thinking it was, you know, some, something further down the road. So she says, I know Messiah is coming. When he comes, basically paraphrasing, she says, he's going he's gonna to fix everything. And Jesus says to her, I who speak to you am he. And here's my point. Jesus has come. The answer is here. We don't have to wait. We don't have to go look for it. I have to run off somewhere else and say, you know, I'm going to go find it over there. Or, uh, well, you know, we just got to wait. And, you know, one of these days it's, it's going to come. I look at people, I know people personally, whose lives are so screwed up. And, you know, they're kind of like, well, I know. So, you know, someday. And it's almost like, well, yeah, you know, someday Messiah is going to come. You know, he's going to come make better. No, he came already. He's here now. He can make it better right now. I can't tell you, and you probably know this as well. I know lots of people who know that Jesus has come. They know it. They'll tell you. I met uh, just a few days ago, met a couple of young guys that were here from New York, and they were heroin addicts and, you know, they were coming out to do some drug rehab thing or whatever, and they didn't like it. And so they left and they were on, you know, anyway, they were stoned out of their minds and, you know, yet, you know, having a conversation with them and, you know, talking to them about the Lord. They're like, oh, Jesus. Yeah. You know, Jesus is great. And man, I love Jesus. And Jesus is my Lord. And it's like, well, let's talk about that for a second. You know, <laughs> no. And I know Jesus is going to help me out, you know, and get in this rehab they, I'm, I'm only bringing them up because it's, it's a recent situation, but they are, they are the embodiment of so many people. You don't have to be a heroin addict. But, you know, all these people, all these broken lives who know they can tell you about Jesus. They can tell you that he came and all of this. And, you know, someday in Jesus, it's like, no, I who speak to you am he. I am here now. Now is the time. Now is the time to receive the living water. Not looking somewhere, oh, you know, down the road. No. When I was in Jerusalem, my son and I, we took a taxi from uh, 
the Holocaust Museum, Yad Vashem, to, back to our hotel. And as we were going, the, the taxi driver was quite, quite a character, you know, and he was real funny. And he, he was all excited. You know, the president was coming to visit and he had all kinds of thoughts about that. And he was not shy about expressing uh, his feelings. And he was actually very much pro uh, the U.S. and the president and so forth. And, you know, he's, he's going on and on about, you know, getting our problems solved and so forth. And I said, well, you know, look, uh, here's the truth. Messiah is coming. And Messiah is the only one that's going to fix your problems. And, you know, he's sort of, I could tell, didn't really want to talk about that. He was more happy to talk about the president's visit than the Messiah's visit. Uh, but, but he, you know, he sort of acknowledged it with a, a little bit of a, a strange sort of a laugh. But then I said, I said, but you know, the truth is Messiah has already come. So he, he actually, he's coming back. And the conversation really didn't go any further than that. But it was kind of that same idea, you know, that, well, out there, you know, this is going to happen and this is going to make it all better and this. And it's like, no, the answer is already here. And I love this. And, and the one final thing I want to say here is that the thing really that just amazes me about this particular encounter and where it ends here in verse 26 is Jesus says to this woman with absolute clarity something that he rarely said to anyone and he did not clearly say even to the religious leaders of the day. You know, when Jesus spoke of his messiahship to the religious leaders, he was very ambiguous. And as a matter of fact, at one point, you can read it in John chapter 10, they came to him and they said, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you're the Messiah, tell us right now. Jesus said, well, I've been telling you, but you haven't listened. But, but anyway, obviously, Jesus was a bit ambiguous. With this woman, she says, I know Messiah is coming. Jesus said, I'm here. It's me. I am the Messiah. And here's the thing that I love about it. What I love about it is... And let's go all the way back to where we started. He must go through Samaria. This woman, who the religious leaders and the civil leaders and the rich and famous and all the important people of the world had no idea that this woman even existed on planet Earth and couldn't care less about her life. This is the woman that Jesus chose to say, I am the Messiah too. And what does that tell us? It tells us that no matter how insignificant you might think you are, no matter how uh, you might be overlooked or unrecognized, uh, you know what? Jesus has come for you. He has come to you. And he wants to know you just for who you are and because he loves you even though nobody else even cares that you exist, perhaps. He does care. And he does offer that gift of that living water. And he came. And we could say in closing, uh, for us, it wasn't simply that he needed to go through Samaria. He needed to come to planet Earth. Why? Because of the thirsty souls that needed to be quenched with the living water that he offers. And so God help us not to miss that offer of living water, but 
God help us to partake of it. Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled Confronting Jesus, Nine Encounters with the Hero of the Gospels by Rebecca McLaughlin. In our current climate of social injustice and sexual ethics, many today do not believe that Jesus has any relevance for today's culture. But what exactly does Jesus say about social injustice and sexual ethics? And in a world filled with moral atrocities, have you ever wondered what it means when people say that God is love? What does Jesus' love actually look like in everyday life in the 21st century? If you've ever wrestled with any of these questions or know someone who wants to know who Jesus is, you need to get this month's resource from Back to Basics. The book Confronting Jesus, Nine Encounters with the Hero of the Gospels by Rebecca McLaughlin is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian. As we continue our series, Jesus Encounters. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.